0: Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Um, morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you all this morning, and it's especially good to be able to continue the series as we're chatting through the seven deadly sins, um, we not just want to look at the sins and the devastating effects that it has. And Normally, why we identify these seven sins or why the church has identified them is not because they're particularly more dangerous than any other sin. It's because what we've seen in the past is they give rise to other sins. And so this is kind of like a foundation for other sins. Let me just get this right. Okay. And so this morning, just a disclaimer... Not for you guys, but anyone listening to the podcast. um, That uh, if you've got kids that are going to be listening with you, we're going to talk about sex and we're going to talk about lust and all these good things, which is a good topic to discuss with your kids. But bear this in mind so that if they're listening in, you guys can kind of walk them through it. This morning is a stunning subject. And I was purposefully trying to search for a passage that would make Melissa blush, but I couldn't find one. So well done, Melissa. No, she did not crack. However, there's a lot of good stuff. And and we'll be spending some time in this text. But I was talking to some people this morning, even before the service, and saying, man, this is such a big subject that we can talk about some of the principles and the biblical standpoint on it. But the way that it gets lived out in different phases of life, whether you're a man or a woman, single or married or engaged with kids or old, it just plays out differently. And so the idea is, I guess not just with this one, but kind of with every sermon in the sermon series, is to take the conversation further. And so we, we want to take the biblical principles and we want to continue the application through the gospel in our different spheres, especially in our DNA groups as we meet up together. Before we get to that, um, for a passage like this, we need prayer, holy prayer to sanctify whatever I'm going to say after this. And so let me pray for us and for our minds and then we'll dive in. Father God, we thank you that you are the creator, that nothing is new under the sun that you don't know about. Um, You've given all wisdom and knowledge. You've given all beauty and pleasure and sex and things to be enjoyed for your glory. And so we pray that even this morning as we discuss something like lust and maybe some of the counter virtues to lust, uh, that we would have the eyes on you. And help us to retrain our minds and retrain our thoughts, Father, that in a way we've been trained up by this world to think in a different manner and to think in a particular way about these things. But we pray that your word would be the guiding light for our hearts this morning. And In your name we pray, amen. This isn't even on my notes yet, but it's so fun using the word sex in church. And everyone's like, is he allowed to say that? Like, can he say that in church? And so... Rest assured, I'm allowed to say it. It's in the Bible. And so I'll be saying it a lot this morning to get some reaction out of you guys. You are allowed to giggle and laugh. So don't, don't feel too stressed about it. Um, family, I think it's safe to say that we live in an over-sexualized society. When sex sells and people are pushed by greed, it is brought into every sphere of life. Literally yesterday, you don't have to look for it, I was confronted by an advert for shaving cream, and it was over the advert. And I'm no, not sure how they make the connection, but people try to bring it in every advert into every place of life because they know that sex sells. In the book, captured by Better Vision by Tim Chester, he cites a then-recent study in 2010 which found that 50% of Christian men are addicted to pornography and 20% of women Christian women are addicted to pornography. That means that in a church of 100 people, 25 people are not, haven't watched porn, they haven't been exposed to porn, they are addicted to pornography. And this was 11 years ago, and I'm pretty sure that that number has gone up a lot since then. And the reason why I believe this is true, and why the porn industry has grown so much in the past 30 years is what a psychologist dr alan cooper talks about when he talks about the triple a threat when it comes to porn and lust something that drives cyber sex and why it's so enticing to us today he calls it it is the accessibility of it the anonymity of it and the affordability i mean just think about it i don't know about you guys but when i was young the only way to get porn was literally to go into a store and buy something that you call a magazine it it was like a hard copy thing and you would flip through it i know some of you don't know what i'm talking about um and you had to one the so the one problem was you had to be over 18 and so there was that hurdle to overcome and then you had to go physically stand in a queue with this burning magazine and try to buy it so i'm not saying it didn't happen it definitely did happen and you normally had Some guy or someone that had to go in and be the person that buys the stuff. However, it was definitely more difficult than it is today. That together with a culture today that is just more tolerating, no, not even tolerating, that is encouraging the use of pornography, it's just exacerbating this flame that is lit by lust. And so when we look at the pornography problem that we're facing today, It's part of the problem of lust, and it's one of the ways that lust manifests in our society, but it's definitely not the whole picture. Uh, You you might be sitting here thinking today, hey, at least I'm not watching porn. The sermon is not for me, so I'm okay. I am convinced, and please chat with me afterwards if you disagree with me, I'm convinced that most men and women, I wouldn't say all, but I almost want to say all, but most men and women struggle with lust. The ladies must be thinking, sitting here, how can the pastor say that ladies struggle with lust? This is a man's problem. This is not something that we struggle with. However, when you look at the definition for lust, lust is it objectifies other people for your own personal gain. And even though it might look different for men and women, it happens with equal regularity. And so this is not the rule, but um, definitely what happens often is men tend to be more stimulated by visual cues, whereas women are more inclined to ideas or a version of someone or a story or romance. They're just much more complicated than us guys. And so for some women for some women it might not be watching porn. However, they might give into fantasizing about the perfect man or the perfect husband. They thinking about, it might not even be about the physical attributes of a man, but you might be in a part of a marriage and fantasizing just about a husband that is better in listening and caring to you. You might uh, think about someone or a version of someone and the story of that person might evolve and something that you constantly return to. And this is still lust. It is craving someone or something or even a version of someone for your own selfish gain. And so whether it's this kind of fantasizing, whether it's watching porn, whether it's even masturbating, it all has the same thing in common, that it's not real, that it's only about serving myself in that moment. And, and the danger about this pseudo or fake reality is that it creates a disconnect between your real and current relationships and even between the possible relationships that you might have in the future. Because the relationship that you think you have in lust or the satisfaction that has gotten from lust is always on your terms, on your time, when it suits you. And family, no relationship works like that. No relationship is just one-way traffic and always about you and serving your own interests. And so with this type of thinking, even modern psychologists agree that lust makes men devalue and objectify women. And lust makes women put impossible standards on men that they want men to live up to. And so ironically, this is super ironic, lust is a lot of the times it's born out of this need or this want for love and intimacy and companionship. And the result of that lust is that it drives you further away from real relationships because you keep going back to that pseudo or that fake relationship, thereby worsening the problem and driving you further to seek love and companionship and affirmation and thereby giving into lust even more. And so it's the spiraling effect that creates you or that drags you down and that alienates you from the relationships around you. And and the modern world is super contradictory at this point. In one sense, we see that people just encourage freedom of expression, your sexual expression, freedom of enjoying pornography and taking part of pornography, a polygamist approach towards sex and sexuality. And this same culture then also condemns it when you objectify men and women. And so where do they draw the line? When is it just expressing yourself? and when is it giving into lust and objectifying the people that you're fantasizing about? Family, the Bible on the other hand, is super clear when it comes to lust. And Jesus specifically speaks about this. He says, and he mentions in Matthew five, that even looking lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart with her. And so he just rightfully goes and identifies the heart of the problem. However, the reason why the Bible condemns lust I think is very different than a lot of us would think. And also the, the advice for combating lust is different than the world would perceive Christianity about. I mean, I'm sure you guys know this, but the world tends to see Christians as anti-sex and anti-fun and anti-pleasure where these, I don't know what's the right word, so I'm not gonna trying to say it right now. But they don't see us as people embracing that part of humanity. However, this is not what the Bible describes. God created Adam and Eve naked and without any shame. And and this was not a platonic relationship, let me tell you that. When God created Adam, when he brought naked Eve to him, in the original Hebrew, it says that he burst into song. That was his reaction to seeing naked Eve. No platonic relationship there. God is the one who created sex and sexuality. He created things to look beautiful. You cannot read Song of Solomon and think that God merely wanted sex and marriage to be functional. Oh, we need kids, and so I'm going to create this thing called sex, but you're only to use it when it's for procreation and having kids. That's not what I'm reading when I'm reading Song of Solomon. (laughs) Amen, hallelujah. (laughs) No, he created sex and pleasure centers. He created it to be enjoyed and expressed to the fullest. I don't know if you guys saw this as Melissa was reading, but the husband, as he is singing about his wife, he's taking great care in describing her. And no, not just her Christian attributes. <laughs> the physical attributes of his wife. He's delighting in it. He's, he's taking great care and saying exactly what it is. I have to admit, I don't understand all the metaphors. The nose like a tower in Lebanon showing north. I'm like, okay. Is that something you enjoy? Early in the book, he said her eyes look like doves. I'm like, I'm not sure how that looks. I'm sure it made sense back then. However, it's no doubt that he's enjoying her, that he's taking delight in the gift of marriage and sex. No, God is not anti-sex pleasure or beauty. He is the creator of it. He created men and women to actually seem and look attractive for one another. The difference between the world's expression of the enjoyment of sex and sexuality is in its design. Throughout the book of Song of Solomon, and, and it's a great book to go and read and actually a great book to go and study. Um, <laughs> It'll be interesting what's, what context I would do that in, but um, it, it, it describes just this relationship between uh, man and woman once they're engaged, early marriage life and then later marriage life as well. And it's, man, it's just a book it's so good. But the refrain throughout the book, you see it in 2 verse 7 and 3 verse 5 and in 8 verse 4 is the following. He says, or she says, the woman answers, and she sings and she says, swear to me, that's serious. Swear to me, young woman of Jerusalem, that you won't awaken or arouse love before its proper time. Even though she's in the midst of enjoying it, there's been some tribulation and they've been had to work some stuff out. And so in the midst of this, this is the refrain that keeps coming back, and that she's singing to the rest of the women of Jerusalem. So God has made this type of expression of love to be enjoyed in the union of marriage. And the reason or the question is why? Well, this is where in the confines of marriage is where accountability is and sanctification and self-service exist. Selfless service and commitment. John Piper says that intimacy is a reward of commitment. Maybe to illustrate this kind of love and how it works and why God created this is to think of fire. Man, fire is amazing. And, and especially if it's harnessed and it's contained, I mean, of course I'm African, so I'm, I'm enjoying a braai, a good braai would be good. But it's, I mean, it's got other uses as well, I think. Um, you know, it's used for, for warmth and it's used to kind of purify precious metals and it's used to cook with, oh that's my again, but um, <laughs> Many uses for fire and in its contained state, probably the, the most important invention for mankind However, fire uncontained is equally destructive And one of the most dangerous elements out there, one single spark can destroy thousands of kilometers of forests and homes and income. And it is the same with trying to enjoy romantic sexual love outside of marriage, especially in a lustful way. Family marriage is designed in a way to help us live self-sacrificing, selfless lives. Otherwise, if if you don't live in a selfless way in a marriage, it's going to be excruciating. If you don't live to serve the other person, it's going to become a prison. I promise you that. There's a reason why the divorce rate is so high because people go into marriage expecting that they'll receive at last the perfect husband and wife and then they realize that's not how the game works. You're actually there to give and to serve and it's within those confines that God said, okay, we can make this fire, we can make and contain it without, uh, within that because it's not about you. And so don't get me wrong, people enjoying a marriage union, and they that have a particular gift in sex, you know, they they still struggle with this. It takes a lot of self-denial, exactly the opposite of what lust promises. Inevitably, when we try to enjoy the gifts of marriage and romantic love outside of this union, outside of these confines that God created, it becomes conceited self-serving it becomes destructive and that's why God gave the marriage union we know that even married couples have the same temptation to give into lust exactly because it's so hard to love one another the temptation is sometimes greater for married couples because we want to give into the fact of but I want to serve myself I want this to be about me And so I want to use this gift not in a way that it was intended by God. This is, the temptation is always, no matter what life stage you're in, to serve yourself and to love myself on my terms. Family, this is exactly what Satan does. He takes something beautiful that God has made and he twists it, he perverts it, and he tells lies. The lies of lust is that by giving into it, you will actually help yourself in other areas of your life. Man, if I just give in to my lust, it will allow me not to give in to other sin. It will actually allow me to maybe be a better husband or better wife because I'm not taking it out on my husband or wife. Man, this will give me fulfillment. Man, we need to know if we're sexually compatible before we get married. This was actually advice that was given to me. Man, th- th- this is just making sure that we we get along beforehand. This is just so that it quenches the flame inside of me so I I can go on and I don't have this nagging thing hanging over my head just to give in. It's not harming anyone. I'm by myself. The promises are always hollow and empty. And as we said earlier, it actually leaves you in a more terrible and drier state than you've been before, feeling emptier and needing actually And then the promise of lust looms even larger above us. Now what we need to do is actually to develop a counter virtue to love or to lust. And the counter virtue to lust is love, specifically the love of Christ. We see that lust is self-centered. Love, in the biblical definition, is self-denial. And the perfect example of this is seen in the life of Jesus. Read with me the passage in 1 John chapter 4 from 9 to 11. It says, this is how God's love was revealed among us. God sent his unique son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he had loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if this is the way God loved us, we must also love one another. Jesus just exemplifies love. He gives us the definition of what true love really is. We all, at one stage or other, were the wayward husband or the wayward wife, chasing after false idols, chasing after a mistress, chasing after something, selling our bodies cheap for pleasures and now we're owned by another. Christ found us where we were. He was the original guy from Taken. He, he went, he sought us out. He found us where we were, but we were owned by another. And what he did, even though we were in a union with him and we ran away and we sold ourselves, he paid the price, the price of his own life to buy us back into relationship with him. This is the love that Christ has demonstrated to us and surely if this is how he sacrificed himself for us, we can trust him with the, more than the immediate pleasures that lust promises. We can trust him in knowing that the design that he has given for this, that God isn't trying to steal our pleasure. In fact, he's actually trying to amplify it. We can love because God loved us first. First. So family, as we kind of move into application, again, this is where we can spend a whole series on and it's probably worth having follow-up conversations, um, how this plays out, how the different temptation comes across. And we don't have time for all of that now. However, the principle is very clear for us that God's design for us is not just good, it's the best thing possible. Anything outside of this design will lead to hurt, And we know this because we see that it was worth Jesus giving his life for us. And so a couple of things. Firstly, what this means for us that if we are captured by a better vision, if we rather see that the picture that God laid down his life, that this is the love that I want in my life, this is the love that I wanna express wherever I am, this is what I wanna do. Instead of going for the immediate McDonald's pleasures, we wanna hold out for something better we want to go for the better thing that Jesus has promised. It means that you are to enjoy the life phase that you're in. This is a weird application in a sermon of lust, but it's true. And this is what I mean. Often, often, single Christians believe that, man, this, this struggle with lust will just be over once I get married. You know, I just need to get, get a ring on it, and I'll be set. I won't have to deal with a Temptations and the lust that come with it, and so they want to get married as quickly as possible to whomever is willing. However, it's never that simple. Um, marriage, family has its own challenges, and the temptation of lust remains. Rather, we are to enjoy the phase that God has given us and the gifts of that specific phase that God has placed us in. When the time arises or the opportunity arises for a relationship, make sure that that person is a believer of Christ. Don't exchange the gift of singleness just for everyone. Everything else can be worked out in marriage. Of this, I am convinced. Everything else is secondary to the primary fact that it makes sure that that person holds on to Christ. Everything else will fade and everything else becomes so secondary. When Christians consider marriage, this is... only primary application that the Bible gives us to consider. In the same breath, breath we need to be a community that holds marriage in high regard. Uh, there needs to be a seriousness when we talk about marriage and the marriage union. We, we cannot be part of the community that continues those offhanded jokes about marriage being a prison, the old bowl and chain, and those things. Even though, you know, it's funny and it's joke and this... We need to realize, whether we're single or not, that God uses marriage to display a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. He uses marriage as a solid foundation for any community or society, and so I'm convinced this is why Satan attacks marriage unions so much. And we see this in our country. We see this with absent fathers. We see that Satan is just trying to break up homes because he wants to break and kill societies. This is his agenda. It permeates into our culture. And so we need to be a community that even though you're single, you're praying for married couples. And you're praying that they for the sanctity of marriage. And we want to push them to that. And so even in our speech and our language, yes, even in our jokes, man, let's have none of that. Let's have none of that. Let's hold this in high, high esteem. And similarly, family, because we have such a high view of what true love is in Jesus, we should abhor the places where lust is celebrated. We, have, we should have a disdain for lust. And so I'm not talking about being super judgmental on the walls, like, oh, that's what those people do. But rather, how are you interacting with those spaces in life where lust is celebrated? A simple example is through what we watch. Yes, I'm going there. (laughs) I haven't watched it, but I've read enough to know what it's about, enough reviews, and we cannot be serious about love and not being lustful and watch series like Game of Thrones where the abuse of women through sex is celebrated. Even when you say, well, I'm not watching those scenes, I'm just fast-forwarding, one, I don't believe you, and two, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) it's it's true though and two man just by being part of that you're condoning what's happening like man i'm I'm sure you think satan's going to give low budget to those kind of things i know hbo's got the biggest budget and has the best scenes and the best actors and all those why man it's just it's just it's searing our consciousness as we're thinking through these things and for us as men man, how we view women if, if we want to be part of this movement and stand up, then we've got to be the ones that are most serious about this. And I'm just, not just talking about Game of Thrones. Insert whatever movie or series out there. Like, man, there, there needs to be a seriousness about this. There needs to be an abhorrence, a disdain. It's like, man, this thing, this love is so beautiful. No, we can't celebrate this. Because you know what? It's gonna, it's gonna come up in conversations. And then we do want to share it in a non-judgmental way. It's like, man, if you watched this like, no, I haven't watched it. Why? Well, it's like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just not for with being communicated in that. It's like, I'm not saying you are. That's just kind of the stance that I'm on right now. We need to communicate. And it's not just for the witness of the outside world. Hear me now. It's about your heart. It's about what you desire. It's about where you go in your thoughts. It's about how you love your brother and sister even though you're not in a relationship romantically, but how are we communicating brotherly and sisterly love to one another? There needs to be a seriousness about this. Lastly, family, we see that the Bible says we must flee from sexual lusts. Paul writes to Timothy One of the leaders in the church and his advice to Timothy is the following in 2 Timothy 2.22. So this is a cat that's got its act together and yet Paul says the following to him. He says, but flee youthful lusts and follow after righteousness. Faith, love, peace and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It's interesting, this is a command together with an action. It's not just stay away from this. Don't give in to lust. There's an action what we're supposed to be doing. Flee lust. Move away from it. Make every effort to make sure that you're not even close to it. Why? Again, family, the world would want you to believe it's because Christians are scared of sex and sexual passions. No, it's the opposite. It's because we love it so much. It's because we know how beautiful it is in the right context. It's because we know the love that christ has given us it's because we know the ransom that was paid to us let's not run after cheap idols and so how do we flee how do, how do we make sure that we're not in those position where we're in contact every day with lust and where it's, we probably don't even realize this but in the ways that we're giving into lust daily and weekly we've just been so inundated with it in our culture well Instead of the ABCs, I couldn't come up with ABCs, so I came up with the CBAs, okay? <laughs> the CBAs for me, and there's a lot more to be said on this, I'm, I'm kind of trying to shorten the sermon for you guys, but the CBAs is confession, believing, and acting. And so regularly confessing when and if and how we fall into lust, how we... And again, this might look different. I'm not just talking about pornography, saying, man, I'm, I'm just, th- there's stages where, I'm sure Yanin would say, I, I wish Reinhardt was like this. And I look at other husbands and I think, man, couldn't he be like that guy? There must be phases where we fall into that temptation of believing or going after a pseudo version of something or a scenario. When you've given too much rope to your thoughts. And so, what we need to do is kind of daily and weekly confess these things and bring them before the Lord. And this confession, and this is controversial again, I believe has to be with someone. Otherwise, when you're by yourself, it might be an acknowledgement of guilt, but it's not real confession. Disclaimer be super careful who you do this with, obviously. Um, Men with men, women with women in the right confines. If you're married, you need to do it with your spouse. It's difficult. We need to do it with our spouses. And the reason why I say that you need to confess to someone is that even though it sounds a little bit like the Roman Catholic confession session, no, it's because of the next step that's helpful in the process. As you confess, you need to believe. Specifically, you need to believe the gospel and the grace of the gospel. The person that you're confessing towards, that you're confiding in, needs to help you guide and apply the gospel to your life. To help you see that Jesus has truly forgiven you. When you're by yourself, you might go through the same process, but it's easy to fool yourself. And then you don't really believe the forgiveness of Christ. When I confess to my wife, I've really gotta believe that God's grace is real, because this is difficult. Man, it, it, it just feels shameful in that moment. And so my first reaction is to run away, to hide, to just keep it by myself. But the grace of Christ compels us to share it, to bring it into the light, and then for that person to be super helpful in saying, man, Christ's grace is a love. He, he knows what you did. He even knew that you were going to do this before you did, and he still chose to die for you. Man, this isn't how Christ views you. He views you as his spouse. He views you as part of the family. God looks at you, and all that he sees is Jesus, and so he says, well done, son and daughter, in whom I am well pleased. This is God's view of you. That that sin does not define you. You actually need someone else from the outside to tell this to you. Otherwise, our hearts simply don't believe it. They should listen, ask questions, and just pump the gospel for you. He's come to ransom you. Then lastly, family, we need to confess, we need to believe, but then we need to act. That person whom you are sharing with and yourself need to come up with a plan of how to fight lust and how to be accountable to one another. Because again, it's in us committing to act. It's in us trying to live differently that communicates that this isn't cheap grace. I actually do believe that Christ has ransomed me. I actually do believe that a price was paid for me and so I wanna be serious about this. I actually do believe that I'm not defined by my sin and that's not who, who I am so I'm actually allowed to make changes. And so regularly how, holding one another accountable, praying together, even steps like putting anti-porn software on your computer, which I think is a great thing and I would recommend to everyone, especially to all men, just because we're more prone to that as well. What a a great testimony to your wife or to the church when people hear, oh, you've got anti-porn software. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's actually, man, this guy, he wants to flee lust. He wants to make sure that he enjoys it within the right confines. We should celebrate these things with one another. And so acting is the part where we communicate, we believe the grace of Jesus because we want to live differently in light of that. And so family, in closing, Jesus' love is more powerful, wider, deeper than any sin or addiction. I know, I'm not wondering, statistics don't lie. There must be some sitting here today that are not just struggling with lust. But as a result of it, some sort of addiction, whether it's porn, whether it's masturbation, whether it's escaping into a fantasy world, oh no, this is happening in our midst. You are not the only one, and you need to know that Jesus' love is more than your shame. Jesus knows this about you, and he still loves you, and so will we. Man, won't you... Believe Christ's love by sharing this with someone. Won't you pull into your DNA group with me, with Yanin, maybe someone that you actually do trust, that you know will communicate the gospel to you, that we can get help. Man, I, I would love for this to be a church where, you know, you, you simply mention the word sex and we, we're not allowed to talk about it. I want us to be a church with still holding it the right honor and the right context, but brings it into the light and brings these struggles into the light where men fight together to honor women, where women fight together to help men actually serve them well, where it's this yin-yang approach where like, man, we just want to be a community that loves one another and outdoes one another in love. What God wants for us, what God wants for this church, is so much more than the world can give. And praise be to God for this. Amen. Father God, we are in awe of who you are. However, we we know that the immediate satisfaction and pleasures of of this world constantly just takes over, It constantly invades our thoughts and our spaces, and we have to admit that we fall more often than not. And and so, Father God, what we need, even though we know the gospel, we know what you did, we need a clearer picture of this. We need hearts to be captured by you. And so we pray that you would do this through your Holy Spirit, that you would do this through preaching, through community, through reading of your word, that we would see clearer the picture of what true love is exemplified in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may we be a community that that doesn't shy away from the difficult conversations but actually brings them into the light where we can start believing the gospel, where addictions are healed, where lust is rightly shown for what it is, the empty promises, and where love is celebrated. And a culture and a world that actually realizes and recognizes that women's rights are being trampled on, yet they don't have the tools to make the necessary decisions of where to abhor lust Father, we have. So may the church stand up and be counted. May our voices actually be the one in saying we want to live or we wanna love our sisters well. Why?